It is that time again for informed opinion and expert analysis on the week's top news stories, which means only one thing, the roundtable. Oh, we've got a good one for you on the St. Patrick's Day. Ed Pozzoli, who is not Irish, is an attorney in Fort Lauderdale, president of the Trip Scott Law Firm, and an influential voice in the Republican Party. Nancy, Nancy Ancrum, also a powerful voice, is the editor of the editorial page of the Miami Herald, Always good to have Nancy with us, and also glad to welcome back to the roundtable Rafael Yaniz, Miami attorney, political analyst, all of you. Hello, welcome. Good come, morning. Good to have Thank you come you. back. Ed, first, let's talk a little bit about the Florida legislature now finishing, has having finished, I think, its second week. Uh, the first thing people ought to really understand is that over a thousand bills get introduced, and in the end, a relative handful ever make it to law, to the governor's desk. Thank goodness, thank goodness for that. We yes. have plenty of laws on the books, but, uh, but there are uh, a number of bills that look like uh, they're going to make it all the way through, at least right now. Um, and so a lot of it was dictated by uh, the governor, the governor's activity between the time he, he took busy. office mm -hmm. and, and now really impacted what priorities the state is focusing on. And good for him. I think he's done a yeah. great job. Well, Rafael, to that point, uh, in his State of the State speech, the governor said, we can't have any sanctuary cities in Florida. And the answer legislatively is something called Senate Bill 168, which would, as it were, outlaw sanctuary cities, but there really are none Correct. in Florida. So Democrats have been vocal, including, uh, for example, Ned Tadeo sat on the committee where this bill was being marked up and challenged. And they're saying there's no sanctuary city problem in Florida, so this is the legislature bringing a solution in search of a problem. Republicans on the other side are saying that illegal immigrants who commit crimes in the state um, are not always, their status, their detention status is not always communicated upstream to the federal government. Right. On a personal level, I, I understand both sides. I have issues, the red flag goes up whenever the state government's trying to get closer in bed with the federal government, I'm, I get worried. Right, well, I'm sorry, Nancy. Jump yeah, in. you know, and this is one more indication of this, le this legislature, and we've seen it for a few years, reaching down and telling the locals what to do and usurping uh, local and municipal authority and initiative. And we see it in a number of areas. But there's yeah. a message here. Well, what, the, the, what mes the, message? the message is very clear on this bill. Look, Florida is running fine and local governments Please don't involve yourself in things that you don't need to and, and get sideways but, with but, where the federal government and the state government want you to be. But, Ed, I think this bill would, in fact, involve local police, sure. you know, in detaining anybody, an illegal immigrant, undocumented person who had been arrested for a crime, hold them for ICE. Now, Miami-Dade County and Broward County do that when there is a warrant, so there was, there's nothing new. It's a codification of the policy that Miami-Dade and Broward are supposedly uh, following up on. So I, I don't think that's a bad thing. And let's understand this. It, 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 there is a reason uh, because local governments, they have an opportunity now to codify this and to protect what I think would be bad policy to have sanctuary cities. And I think the legislature is right to push this through. Yeah. Nancy, uh, your page, your op-ed page, where I'm glad to occasionally appear, had a very good, I thought, piece by Paul DeMare, a big Florida Miami-Dade businessman who runs the largest tomato growing mm -hmm. operation, I think, in the country, yeah. or certainly the largest We're in the Florida. State. And he said, if, this, if SB 168 is passed, 
the tomatoes, the strawberries, the beans, all these fruits where you need migrant labor to go out and pick them, these people aren't going to want to come to Florida and the agriculture industry is going to be devastated. Right, and it's going to put a real chilling effect. Many of the, so many of the migrant workers who come are here legally, mm -hmm. and that's why they are called migrant workers. They're able to come here, they are able to put their children in school, and it is going to have just a chilling effect, uh, I, I think, across the board. I think Damari is co correct. Well, we'll see what happens with it. Well, let's move on to Governor DeSantis, and Ed, you mentioned him earlier, and we want to put up on the screen the results of a Quinnipiac University poll that was released this week, which is really utterly remarkable, because it says 59% of Floridians approve the job that Ron DeSantis is doing, just 17% negligible number, Ed, disapprove. Why are his approval ratings so high? because he's doing a great job, Michael. I mean, let's understand this. Not only is he governing by prin from principle, he's also bringing common sense to the job. So when, when you have an environmental issue that would normally not be something that would be focused on by a Republican, Governor DeSantis rightfully recognizes that that impacts both the economy, tourism, and our way of life in Florida, and he's addressing that. He's bringing common sense solutions to that kind of issue, and he's still governing from a principled position, and let's be honest, he is also very, very active. So yeah. the idea he's driving the agenda in Florida, leadership is important in Florida, yeah. and that's what you're seeing well, in those I, numbers. I, I have to say as a reporter, um, I've covered him well in the campaign and subsequently uh, the guy does have kind of command presence. When he comes into a room, he begins speaking. Right. I don't know, has he been you know, to the, the editorial board? No, unfortunately he hasn't, and he would not talk to the editorial board when he was running, to, neither would Adam Putnam, to be yeah. fair, when they were running yeah. uh, for the, nom for the Republican nominee. He absolutely should, absolutely should. I also think that, yes, he made excellent moves. Uh, regarding the environment first off. So I mm -hmm. think that softened a lot of people up. I do think that, you know, as Ed says, he is following his principles, which are Republican principles, which yeah. believe that public funds should be going to private schools and, you know, possibly, possibly undercutting uh, needier public schools. I also think, though, that packaging really matters. We had yeah. eight years of a Stepford governor. <laughs> uh, and uh, and we now have someone who is, yeah. you know, a, a human being comfortable in his own skin, yeah. and really able to relate to to people on yeah. on all sides of of, of the issues. He, that is true, uh, Rafael Yanis. I've I've got to say the one area where I think the governor has problems, and Nancy alluded to it, is on vouchers, school vouchers. Right. Because he wants to expand essentially this uh, uh, tax credit scholarship program, which allows poor kids, uh, corporations which owe taxes, instead give them money uh, actually through a third party, which somehow washes it clean, and allows them to have scholarships to private schools and religious schools, all, all kinds of schools. Now the governor says there are 13,000 kids on that waiting list and I want them all to have money, mm -hmm. and we're going to take it out of the state general fund, like the checking account, right. and we're going to spend it. Now, is that a, a, a really a viable and constitutional thing? So I'm somebody who balances his checkbook and you know looks in his credit card statement to make sure that everything rounds up at the end of the month, and I have concerns when you are taking general revenue dollars, as you just mentioned, uh, those dollars ebb and flow from year to year. If the economy's doing well, 
we're doing well in Tallahassee, and yeah. they can write those checks out. If the economy's not doing so well, then you don't have those recurring dollars. So I have a concern from a public policy standpoint of how those parents who are p placing children in private schools using these vouchers, who can't afford otherwise to put these children in schools yeah. of choice, how are they going to um, go to their child if three years from now there are no funds, the legislature doesn't appropriate the funds to continue that program? This is a civil rights issue, Michael. I mean, you're talking about giving an alternative to parents who had no other alternative but potentially to send them to a failing public school. And so now you have different options, one of them being the scholarship program that allows them to attend a private school, It'll charter schools, other schools of choice. In, in, in Dade County alone, there are more kids exercising in school choice options. Some, by the way, run by the district well, than they are. Well, most of them are run by the district. Right. right. And so here's exactly. the point. So you have greater options to parents who didn't have any before. But and education, we know, is the great equalizer. Yeah. We just had a story break about mm -hmm. college admissions right. and, and unfairness about people who are wealthy trying to impact that. In this case, it's the reverse that's happening, you're yeah. utilizing public monies to assist parents and giving them greater freedoms to make choices, educational choices, on behalf of However, their children. And, 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 and the governor has three new Supreme Court justices who that may well, right. we don't know, if it gets to them, may say, yeah, it's legal. All right, everybody, hold your thoughts. We've got a lot more to talk about with the roundtable. Stay with us. <clears throat> Welcome back. Live in our studio this morning, three ACE political analysts and thinkers, Ed Pozzoli, Nancy Ancrum, and Rafael Yanis. Let's talk a little bit about presidential politics because, oh my goodness, it is still nearly almost two years <laughs> away. But the Democrats are going crazy. A cast of thousands, well, 18 or 20 or so. Uh, Nancy, this week, Beto O'Rourke, right. you know, formally said that uh, he was going to run uh, and as somebody observed, it's not my observation, uh, we love the idea of Beto as a candidate, and then you think about Beto as the president, and your palms get sweaty. I, I mean, this guy, I mean, do we yeah. really want him to be president? <laughs> I want him to be a candidate. he lost. He lost. And so he said, okay, so I'm not going to be a senator, a U.S. senator, so I know I'm going to go for the presidency. <laughs> okay, smart. Yeah. You know, I think Beto is into Beto. Yeah. I think Beto really <clears throat> could be a credible candidate for, as he was for the Senate, as he was for Congress, but he needs to, I think, go home and, and, and school himself. Yeah, I'm assuming well. he really liked the applause. <laughs> he likes the attention. He has the some good ideas. Machine. Yeah. Exactly. He has the fundraising. Right. Uh, Big ATM. Yeah. Big yeah. ATM. But, All right. but well, we, we heard Raphael earlier from Howard Schultz, and I really was a fun guy to talk to. He's smart. Sure. You know, he's got some he's interesting ideas. Uh, I don't know. He is, I think, a little self-delusional when it comes to him screwing up, if I may say, uh, 2020 election by taking, I mean, if he does spend and he's ready to spend a quarter of a billion dollars or so to advance a candidacy, and he says, I'm going to get at least 15 percent in the ratings. I will be in the final debates, and then he's going to get some votes, and it, it could change the outcome of the election. It could tip the election either way. It depends where he plays. It depends on which demographic he, he starts attracting votes from in an eventual uh, full, you know, at the general contest, because he's not going to play in the Democratic field, obviously. No. He's running that third-party uh, mm -hmm. candidacy. But the problem is that he's going to shift, the problem for the Democrats is he's going to shift the narrative 
because he's always going to be the billionaire in the room mm -hmm. who's everything, you know, a Democrat without the title. And he's just going to be out there saying, you know, socialism's bad, democratic socialism's bad, which I personally agree with. And he's going to then uh, upset those left-wing Bernie bros and, and the Beto bros and all those folks. Yeah. And the interesting part about it is that, how in short, he is an example of where the Democrat Party used to be. When we talked about mainstream politics where, you know, you'd have conservatives and you'd have liberals. He's a traditional liberal in my view. Mm -hmm. And so now he looks like a hardcore moderate, which right. uh, compared exactly. to the folks running on the left side of that party, the yeah. Democratic Party. And what that does is it, it serves as a contrast about how far left the Democratic Party, at least the energy piece of it, is right. today. Bernie right. Sanders has pushed the whole agenda, I think, of the party to the left, but I happen to think Bernie Sanders is not going to come close this time. Yeah, but Joe, agree. But, but, but Joe Biden, Nancy, who is expected to announce that he is running, I think, in the next couple of weeks, um, uh, you know, 76 years old, well-liked, you know, right. and I saw a poll this week that said, well, he maybe he could be Trump in Florida, but uh, somehow... I'm not, I, I, I cannot predict that at all. I think Joe Biden will give enough people, though, a warm, fuzzy feeling of familiarity, yeah. of a, um, um, a steady hand on the, on the controls. It depends upon um, if he even reaches that point. It yeah. depends upon you know who he sit, who he picks as his uh, vice presidential candidate. Also, let's yeah. not let's not annoy him so quickly. He right. he is a white old man mm -hmm. who is now trying to become the head of a party that is to the left of him historically mm -hmm. speaking. Now, and already he's felt the pressure. He actually did the absurd thing of calling Mike Pence mm -hmm. a decent man and then had to apologize it's for it. Yeah, right. exactly. I mean, if well, you're going to wilt to that silliness. kind of pressure, it's silliness. Yeah, that's right. the silliness of our it politics. Yeah. Before we end this discussion, I, I, I have to say, Wayne Messam, the mayor of Miramar, who was just reelected with mm -hmm. like 86% of the votes, God bless him, he's a nice guy and I think he's been a good mayor. He's formed an exploratory committee about a, a run for mayor, and I, I don't want to be for, for, for disrespectful, for but for president, I'm sorry, for president, mm -hmm. but you know, what is he smoking? I mean, this I is. I don't think he's smoking anything. I think there's always a cast of candidates who mm -hmm. want to be in the mix for the vice presidential slot. And there always have been, and, there, and with social media today, you are not necessarily a crazy. Right. You are now able to make your own case. And he yeah. might attract super PAC money, and then he's a candidate for right. VP. Right. Yeah. Or he's a candidate for a commentary on a national show. Absolutely. Andrew Gillum seems to make, be right. making work. And he's <laughs> going to be in town Wednesday to make a major announcement. Wonder, right. wonder what, what that could be. Uh, All right, stay tuned. We're going to be back with more Roundtable after the break. On this Sunday, we are in the midst of the roundtable and having a good one here. Let's talk before we get away from, uh, strictly speaking, politics. And Raphael, the Democratic National Committee, uh, said this week, no, not going to be 
uh, in Miami, our convention in 2020. We're going to go to Milwaukee. Tom Perez, DNC chair, is from that area. His wife, I think, is from Milwaukee. But Miami came close, no cigar, right. but uh, they put, I thought it was a good bid. Miami put together an interesting bid, and there was excellent reporting in the Miami Herald that when I read it this week, when the news dropped, because all the, the rumors were going that direction, but the news dropped, and I, I thought of a scene from Pretty Woman, you know, when Julia Roberts goes to mm -hmm. shop and she has the money, but they just look at her and they don't want to take care of her. And then she comes back with the bags and she goes, big mistake. Huge mistake. <laughs> I think that's what's going to happen to the Democrats who are quoted in that piece. Right. Local Democratic leaders are going to look at the party and they're going to say, big mistake, huge mistake. When this 2020 convention comes by, it's going to fizzle in Milwaukee. Miami has all the energy excitement. Right. You know, everything yeah. that the Democratic Party wants to appeal to is in Miami. Yeah. And they, they yeah. left us. It's yeah. a big mistake. Mm -hmm. Well. I'm glad, you know, I'll tell you what, look, let them go spend a couple a couple weeks out in Milwaukee when they could have enjoyed South Florida. Right. <laughs> and also, I'll tell More you, they have effectively said, hey, Florida, we, we're not going to count on your electoral votes in 2020. We, we you know what, yeah. you're yeah. not with us. So, yeah. and, and I think Florida needs to pay them back. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's or not move, donate to them. Let's, let's move on to, I think, one of the most fascinating stories uh, that I have seen in recent months, and that was your colleagues at the Miami Herald mm -hmm. wrote this story about the a South Florida resident Chinese and American woman named Cindy Yang, who somehow, in the course of being in the country less than 20 years, has ingratiated herself into the Trump White House. Here is the famous selfie <laughs> that was taken on the, the day of the Super Bowl watch okay. party. She is in the front, and there, of course, is uh, President Trump. Um, the first thing, Nancy, I would say is that the, this reporting, excellent reporting, you have to say to yourself, who is vetting at Mar-a-Lago or at the White House? Who gets close to Trump and his top advisors? Absolutely. I, I guess the first thing I would say is, is this a great country or what? <laughs> is this a great country or what? Yeah, and you have to ask who is vetting, but you also have to ask, what is it that she has that he wants? She may, she may have been fully vetted and, and, and told, come on in. And then we had the further story this morning that she was able to introduce right. into Mar-a-Lago and to Trump um, a highly placed member of um, the, the... Chinese the, Communist Party. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Ed, that That doesn't is, upset us anymore. That, well, it should. I, I mean, frankly... <laughs> it upsets us. I know the word shocking is passe, but mm -hmm. I mean, for this woman to have taken a member of, of a group that really fronts She's an American, for right? the Chinese Communist Party. She's an Party. American citizen, the woman is. Cindy Yang. Yang Cindy is, Yang is an Cindy American Yang citizen. American Keep going. And she's an American citizen, and she's accessed herself to the political process. Mm -hmm. And so tell me more. Well, uh, how does, well, number one, I'll give you one example, and it's in the Herald mm -hmm. story this morning. She paid over $54,000 to go to a party at Mar-a-Lago, a fundraising mm -hmm. party for the okay. Trump So you've White just House. identified why, why she, why she on, went there. Hold on, but it, it appears, there's no hard evidence, and I don't mean to yeah. accuse her, sure. but it appears that she took some of the women and other yeah. people who work for her massage parlors, and she took, you know, their money and she cleaned it. Yeah, I, they are not legally able I find to that abhorrent. Mm -hmm. I find that abhorrent. <clears throat> I, I, I find what, what she does uh, abhorrent. But, but 
Again, we're talking about American citizens act accessing the political process, and it could have very well been a Democrat. We've had stories mm -hmm. like that as well. And so I'm not so sure that's that big a deal. What, what bothers me more about this is uh, the what I see from the president is a hard line against China, uh, the idea that we're now renegotiating a trade deal. No, no, China? hang on. What I see, and, and that mm -hmm. not being, I think that is far more important than a story like this. And I think that a, a story, a story around what the details are around how we re rack our relationship with the Chinese government because they are going to be our competitor for a long time, yeah, both military, politically, economic, political, econo economic yeah, power. And yeah. so I think this president is on the right track on that front. Right, and so well, that's what Well, I think what bothers me uh, are the business interests. Yeah. Clearly um, business interest and right. Trump business interests. All right, that's going to be, that's, that's a felony. Yeah. Yeah. I right. beg your pardon, <laughs> we are right. out of time. We could be here for a lot longer. Thank you all for coming in. Thank you. Great roundtable. Thank you. All right,